Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show after the show. It is special time. Special time to have one show end, the other one begin, and only you have the access. Only you have the golden ticket that lets you get inside. Well, it is book club. It is session four, the uh, officially the final session for Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella. And I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Charlie Robinson of Macroaggressions Podcast. What's going on, Charlie? Well, it's been a great book. And I'm excited that we got through it. And I couldn't wait to talk about it. And here we are. So let's... I finished it. I finished it uh, Father's Day weekend. I, uh, you know, we, we did this on Thursday. I had picked it up. I got through most of the pages on Saturday. I finished the rest on Sunday. And then I read it again today. Because I, I couldn't wait. I said, I, I want to see how this, this ends. And I'm, yeah, I'm so happy that we did this. How about, uh, we still, we, I'll just defer to you. General thoughts, highlights. I'll go through some of my highlights. And then we'll just jump right into this thread that everybody's bubbling about. Well, it cracked me up since we've been talking about baseball this whole time, and I've been kind of chiming in with my little uh, stories of how I was the low guy on the totem pole working in baseball. When they, There's a scene in, in this last part that we did where, where, where everyone's at, they're at the carnival, and um, they're telling him, go get this, go get this, go get the left-handed glass stretcher, you know? <laughs> and... There's an old prank that you, that gets played on people. They tried it on me when I was working as an intern in baseball. They've got all these little, there's all these little like sayings. Well, like, in the, like the ninth, the ninth green at nine in Happy Gilmore. Well, they they told me to go. You know, like the players would be like, "Hey, man, could you go in the freezer and get get the box of frozen ropes?" You know, could you go get the left-handed bats? Could you get the the box of curveballs? Could you get the key to the batter's box? All these things that they would send like young kids out to go do. They would they would they would try on me, and they're they're going go get the keys to the the key to the batter's box. I go, do you mean the batting cages? Are we talking about that? Because this isn't gonna. And then it you know it just sort of it reminded me when that this poor this poor kid's running around looking for left-handed glass stretchers i was like yeah that, that's like looking for left-handed bats yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely well i remember some i remember some inside the huddle uh <clears throat> audio from years ago with like brett Favre and all of his nonsense and he he would go up to some uh, officials i remember he was mic'd up one day and i remember brett Favre asking some officials for the left-handed footballs and uh, and it took it took them about a second to say, "You goofball, get out of here!" But yeah, that that car- the carnival scene, <coughs> the carnival scene, that was funny to see this little kid, little tiny Ray, being you know uh, being taken for the gullible guy that he is, and obviously it, it kind of speaks to his character still uh, as as an adult. You can tell that that Richard is a little bit more of a a hardened character, a little bit more disillusioned with the world, a little bit more rebellious. And Ray just he's maintained that childlike wonder in things, and that that uh, that romance, and also the the ability to be influenced into going on what some people would call foolhardy adventures, whether it be building this this uh, stadium in his backyard in his cornfield or to go and uh, and make multiple trips between carnival barkers that want him to find left-handed glass stretchers and things like that. So yeah, I think it's a it's a great it's a, one of those good origin stories as far as the the boy that would become a man. Yeah. And it was interesting that uh, Gypsy's actual name was Annie. Charlie, this is something for me. I wrote myself a note in here about that when we learned that Gypsy Gypsy's name is Annie and there's just so much going on at this point that I started wondering, what are we about to be taken down some kind of another psychedelic uh, magic trip? Is 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 Richard and Ray the same person? Have they been almost like split, like doppelgangered? Like what? I didn't understand where this was going for a moment. I was wondering the same thing. I felt like we were getting a look at like one version the 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 ray and annie that live in iowa and then like 
you know, your his twin brother went off on a different path, and he met an Annie and travels the country in a carnival, which isn't exactly the greatest life in the world. And so it was it was this uh, fork in the road when they were 16 right and, or when when his brother went one way and he went the other way and um and then they meet up later and they both have annies and they both have interesting lives i don't know it it i felt the same way i was waiting for like i then i started thinking about the movie and i started going well, where is this in the movie you know like how would this play into the movie like would they'd have to just rewrite the entire ending you know if it was this so i i don't know i just kind of went with it but i was, but i made a note that annie you know that same name yeah, coming up twice. Uh, well, you know, I, I say Seems that symbolic. I mean, it, it it was there for a reason. Yes, yes, it was. I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear. I uh, you glitched on on Zoom. I thought you had stopped speaking, oh. um, so I I talked over you. That's my fault. Um, uh, I don't know at which which point you want to actually discuss the movie, Charlie, because now that we're done with the book, obviously we're all going to watch this together on Sunday, or at least uh, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. I'll let everybody know. We'll watch it together on Sunday. Um, I, there are things that I love the book. And if, if this was the thing that, I mean, this came out first, so this is the story. The movie is just the adaptation. And I think that some of the edits that they made for the movie as a visual presentation was, was very, very good. I think as a film, it's, it's strong because, it gets rid of a lot of the a little bit of convoluted storylines uh, that I think get convoluted for me. The, the the twin brother, the twin brother is something that is not in the movie, but it you don't, you don't miss it. You don't miss it at all. The other thing that we start getting here is, uh, well, I mean, obviously Eddie Sissons is not in the movie. Right. Um. He, he that's just not even a character. Uh. Speaking of Eddie, poor Eddie. We we learn that he was blackmailed into you know giving the mortgage over to Mark and Bluestein because they pretty much knew that he was lying about him being uh, you know a, a a Chicago Cub, and I love that um, I love that how Ray had, Ray had checked up on it. He went to the the archives. He wanted to see if it was true or not, and and he knew the whole time. But I think it's just a little bit more of a. A testament to to Ray's character with he's just you know um, I don't know I guess compassionate with a with an old guy who really really wanted to live that dream and and didn't uh, attain it in in the way that he wanted. What do you think about the the overall arc of of Eddie Sissons? Yeah, I thought about that too. I mean, it, if Ray wanted to, you know, kind of stop this madness, he could have done it years ago, but. Like he knew that this guy wasn't being honest about this, but it didn't matter because it because it it was important to Eddie, and he talked about and he was you know he was living out his dream, and you know he he I don't know it, Ray never had the heart to pull the rug out from under him. He didn't need to. Didn't didn't serve any purpose to do that to bring him down. You know to do any of that stuff. It it but but, but Bluestein did. You know, and those those guys they did they didn't have a problem exploiting that that you know that whole and Eddie's story and and basically putting him in a situation where he had to he had to give up the you know the mortgage to them in exchange for them being quiet about his his lie you know it was going to devastate him then once it came out you know they didn't really talk about it and he, he just kind of sat in it for 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 what seemed to be a while and they didn't bother him or, or or anything like that it it felt sad but it also felt like like it, you know listen there's there's a there's a million eddie sisons out there yeah you know that just remember the old days of how, how they used to do it and maybe maybe the the, the story isn't always 100 percent accurate but but um i like that ray knew and didn't out him i hate him yeah and i hated i hated when 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 uh eddie w was said uh said you you promised you wouldn't tell you promised and it, you can tell that it was just so embarrassing and it, it almost took the the you know the, i guess the air out of his own balloon all those years that he kept himself inflated thinking about those um those moments the, i guess those moments he he gave himself in his head and and this is at a time where, of course, the we're, we're reaching a fever pitch with how much 
is Ray going to be able to wrangle to keep the farm in his control? To, and it gets to the point where the players, the ghosts, the ghost players are willing to help. They're like, hey, listen, I, we used to till farms. I know how to farm. I know how to, you know, use horses. We don't need tractors. Sell the tractor and le- and we can we can do things by hand. And they're, you know, so it, it, it's incredible. It's incredible what's going on here. And then more things are happening. We start seeing more ghosts uh, materialize on the field. But now in the opposing teams, they aren't just almost like generic NPC uh, teams. Uh, Eddie Eddie uh, goes nuts when he actually lays eyes on three-finger Mordecai Brown, who I know, you know, Mordecai Brown, everybody should – this is a real person. Uh, he, he only had three fingers. Uh, he, he threw one hell of a curveball because of it, and uh, he was one of those guys that came out of retirement d- during like World War II, when everybody is most of the players are off fighting and to to try to survive. I mean, you should you should look into. I know Charlie probably has, but um, some of the gimmicks that Major League Baseball and other you know uh, Negro League Baseball everything. The gimmicks that they had to go to to be able to stay in business because all of their big draws are gone. A lot of their consumer base is off fighting a war too. Uh, people like Mordecai Brown and other. Um, what's the name of the one the one armed player that came? And he, that was a big World War Two. Damn, there's a movie about him oh, too. I, Shit. Yeah. Anyway, so he was very excited about that. But then Charlie. Eddie gets a shot to play. This is where I start getting, I, I started wondering what the hell's going on here. You and I joked off air when we, when we ended last session, watch, um, watch Eddie go kill himself because he'll think, Hey, well, if I go kill myself, I'll be able to go play, but he's in right. the stands and he sees himself come out to pitch in relief. What the hell's going on yeah. with that? It was wild. He was watching himself. He was watching himself pitch poorly. He gets, you know, he gets shelled. He, not, he gets shelled. Totally. This was not, you know, this was, this was, you know, you've got your big moment. Hey, I'm going to say, I see myself as a younger person. I'm going to watch this whole thing. It was not good. Right. So, so he didn't, didn't pitch well. Um, and, uh, and, and, but, but he gets his, you know, he gets his Cubs uniform, you know, he gets his Cubs uniform. He gets his cleats his 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 new cleats at some point and um and that yeah this this whole eddie theme uh you know theme that's running through this just disappears in the movie so mm-hmm. it's very it's very it's, it's unusual i mean i just wouldn't know how to unravel this whole thing if i were looking at a book and trying to turn it into a movie like what what goes what stays what what boy you got to get rid of the twin brother you got to get rid of the 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 oldest living Chicago cub. Like there's a lot of stuff you're cutting out of a book that isn't, it's not like we're reading uh, encyclopedia. I mean, it's a relatively small book, but still they had to turn that out for the movie. And it was, um, boy, it was in, I didn't miss, but like you said, I didn't miss it. I didn't know what I was missing, but the movie seemed great. But, but now after reading the book, I'm like, well, this whole, there's this whole line. There was a little, I, it feels like in the movie they tried to, I don't know, maybe not focus so much on on the ghosts <laughs> component of it. You know, there's there's a lot of ghosts in the book, you know? I mean, there's there's guys out on the field. But I they're, mean, hanging, they're hanging out with they them. They were talking about, like, ghost farmers, you know, farming this land and everything. I mean, you're, you're, you're thinking, like, well, I guess it's kind of fiction, but, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I I would have been interested to talk to the guy that was the screenwriter for for the movie because how you make that decision, what to keep in and what to uh, fr- from the book and w- what to put into the movie. That well, who who is the screenwriter? To, Maybe we can find him. Do. That'd be a lot easier than than Kevin Costner. Maybe we can find the screenwriter. Yeah, I, I, I mean, because you you make such a great point. That is a true talent in itself to read a book like this and to say, okay. I uh, if we're going to bring this to the screen, we're going to have to do some radical things. And when you think about what has been done to this book to bring it to the screen, it is pretty radical. But if you've only known the movie, then you know almost a perfectly told story and nothing else. Yep. 
And, and so it's it's wonderful um, to, to know exactly how you can prune this bush and still have a cogent piece that you can that you know a, 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 it's it's wonderful um, because anybody else looking at this book that was told okay make it into a movie I think that nine point uh, nine people out of ten would find a way to keep Eddie in there you know because they feel like they're they're just too integral to the story it's how Ray got the the, the farm it's it's just too much but he's gone mm-hmm. um but here here's another thing i wanted to talk because we were talking about the ghosts now there is a so much more in this book compared to the movie and i i love how in the movie the build-up is the father the build-up is ray being able to to talk to his father in this the father is everywhere I mean, he, he's the catcher that comes up. He goes on a hitting tear. Uh, J- Joe Jackson loves him. I mean, he, I mean, Ray essentially spends an entire year or more, or whatever the hell it is, the, the amount of time here, watching his father play. And, and when it comes to, this is the only thing that, well, one of the things that confuses me. On page 231, <clears throat> one of the last things uh, he's talking to Eddie about before Eddie dies is how again nervous he is to approach his father and have a, a conversation with him and uh, and Eddie says of course you can do it you can tell you're awfully good and he said he said that's daddy and if I look closely I can see the square cut of his jaw and has recognized him in the way up uh, he said how can I do this how can I go and talk to him without giving away everything I know pretty much at that point in the book I'm saying what are you talking about? Why? Did, why? What do you, why is it? He says. Uh, he, uh, Eddie says you're awfully good at keeping secrets. I should know. But w- what's the need for keeping a secret from your father? This is not a time travel movie. This is not Back to the Future. He's not going to disappear from a Polaroid or anything. He's already dead. So I, I never understood why it takes on that. Like you can't. You can't tell him about the future. They all know the future. They've already lived their life. So there's a quote. There's a quote in here where they where he says it would destroy anyone to know his own future. It, it, no. That's the only thing that makes it feel that, that I said there's a little bit of a is that a loophole? Is it an inconsistency or does somebody else have the ability to explain this to me? I just didn't understand why it took on a back to the future kind of a feeling right there when we all understand that these people have already lived their lives. And, and they seem to as well, based on how they they talk with each other about what lives beyond the center field doors. And I, I just I just I, don't, I didn't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. You're right. It, it, they they they're they're already out of this world that we're they, they would theoretically have no ability to impact this current world unless he's talking about you don't want to screw up. The, the head their heads the heads of the ghosts you know like get them thinking about all this but but again it you're right it wasn't like you were going to really go back in time and actually find your father when he was 25 and say nice to meet you i'm your future son uh we're your future twin sons uh great to meet you we like the way you call a game and then send him off into a insane asylum after that or something you know so it, it was it was a little unusual. It was, you know, I mean, it was a little, it, I, I think you're right. Like maybe a little bit of a loophole there where if they were worried about disrupting the space time continuum, it didn't really seem like that would have been a thing. You're talking, uh, you're talking to dead people. Right. <laughs> so, well, Charlie, listen to this. Uh, Scott Johnson, uh, Scott Johnson, UCF in the chat room says, Maybe that's the superstitious side of the ball player in them. Don't talk to them at the in the at the moment during the moment because you'll mess it up. Maybe that's yeah. I, I can live with that. It's as good of an answer as, as as any. They are all a bunch of baseball players, and we know baseball players are a bunch of weirdos. They they are they're superstitious. They they wouldn't want to mess something up, especially something as good as this. And Ray r- recognizes that throughout the entire book that that he's he there's some moments where he's like almost afraid to do anything for fear that he's going to screw it up. Even Jerry feels the same way. He didn't even want to go into his own apartment and get his stuff. He just wanted to stay there. They they they're, they're sort of understanding that w- what they were in was potentially fragile and they didn't want to make any sudden movements or talk about the wrong thing 
or so, you know say something you don't want to say something to your dad where he goes what you know and like all of a sudden it, it, you 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 just want to play it safe it seems like they they wanted to sort of play it safe a little bit at, at sometimes like yeah. don't don't mess with anything yeah. don't mess with anything uh and then of course eddie dies then he he uh they, he goes and he's he's found the next morning by jerry right by jerry uh and then we have this exchange um Ray and Annie, they get in touch with all of Eddie's daughters. They they arrange something. Uh, he says they'll take over all of the funerals and stuff like that. They are going to bury him in the cornfield. Then they go and they they confer with the ghosts. And the ghosts want to help out, but if he, they bury him in the cornfield, they can't go beyond the outfield wall or else they won't be able to t- be part of it. So what do they do? They decide let's bury him right there in left field, and uh, yeah. and Joe Joe Jackson makes the quip I've played on worse, and uh, I played <laughs> I played on worse, and so you have this funeral, this burial, this funeral, with um, with Eddie Sissons and all the ghosts in attendance helping with the actual uh, burial there, and um, and then we start getting into the bigger resolutions, that is whether or not. The farm, how is it going to survive? He, We have Rich, Richard. Annie says that he claims, or Gypsy Annie, claims that Richard heard a voice. He said he heard the voice, but he still can't see. And he's asking Ray on, on page 239, Ray, he says to me, looking wildly around him, Ray, teach me how to see. And then the next, vo- the next, um, Next page on page 240 is when we have the beginning of this confrontation that is really the apex of all of the action in the movie. Uh, and that is the, the, the big confrontation between Mark, Bluestein, and it all results in, in Karen falling and starting to choke on a, little, uh, on, a, on a big chunk of hot dog. And this calls the big purpose what was Moonlight Graham's purpose? What was the exchange? Well, he got a lot more in this book than what he got. I, I really do believe this is another thing, uh, uh, Charlie, that I love about the book, is that Moonlight Graham, there was a, so much more at stake for him in the, in the movie for him to cross the gravel of the field and go help Karen when she was in that need, when she was choking. Because he only had one day in the sun as young Archie Graham. At least in the book, Moonlight Graham had what seemed to be an entire summer's worth of of adventures in that field. And he was doing, he was hitting 300. He was loved by his teammates. He was doing great. And he came out and he, he came, he, he, uh, he came to the rescue, transformed back into Oh, the old version of Moonlight Graham from Chisholm, Minnesota, and he saves Karen, fulfilling what I believe we all can agree on was going to be his uh, his true purpose, not only to fulfill his own dreams, but to be there to save Karen's life. Makes you think about how much fate is on a predetermined track, but what do you think about all that? Yeah, it's a really heavy-duty question to ask, you know, because if they hadn't gotten him, if they hadn't been part, you know then who would have saved Karen? They made a point of, of talking about the distance between where the close, you know, how long it would take for the ambulance to get there and where the closest hospital and everything. They, they made it sound like it was far away. Like somebody needed to do something immediate to, and, and, and Ray mentions how he wasn't, didn't really know CPR all that well. He wasn't really sure what was what. And so the idea that Doc Graham needed to be there in the moment, and needed to make that decision was, um, you know, the, the way they described it as he kind of walks around the back side of the, the, the fence, the left field fence. And it's sort of, as he's going, sort of transforming from a ball player into, into this doctor carrying the bag that he, that he, you know, the, the bag with him that he allegedly, uh, I guess they said he never had the bag or someone else carried the bag for him. But this time he came around the corner and he had the bag and mm-hmm. he was ready to take care of a choking Karen. It was, it, I could kind of see it in my head. I could see this transformation and, um, you know, he really, 
he got the best of both worlds though if you think about it because yeah. he got his he got the ability to play you know get that at bat and then some in the book and and play for you know play for a while and still become the doctor in the end and then he mentioned that he had to get home because he, you know he didn't want to be late for his wife and it, so there's still this sort of le- level of confusion where you know you can't how would he it's know just that he was magic. just a baseball it's just ma- it's just it's just you know you know charlie what i started thinking about at that point it's like on page 248 uh here listen to this um uh, he says, Ray Kinsella, I say, my daughter, I point to Karen, my wife, I point to Annie, and then for no reason I can fathom, I introduce everyone, even Abner Bluestein. Well now, it's lucky I happen to be on the scene, Ray Kinsella. That little girl wouldn't have lasted much longer. I look at him, smiling from ear to ear, and I recall someone saying he was always the first to the side of an injured player. At the, uh, You know, at that point, I said, you know, Moonlight Graham, has this Kris Kringle kind of a aura to him. Because even when he, when when Ray encountered Graham in that really magical, misty evening in Minnesota in the street and went to his office and offered him that ability, are you the kind of man that can give me that chance, Ray Kinsella? We were talking about it a couple of sessions ago when we were doing Book Club, and, and we said, he knows... There's something he knows, but almost like Ray and Jerry, where they're going throughout this entire adventure, not wanting to say too much, not wanting to screw up the magic. It's almost as if Moonlight Graham did not want to screw up the magic either. He knew that he was in the pocket for something, and he knew that Ray was fulfilling some kind of an inexplicable purpose, and... I don't know. There's just something very sly about these characters, especially Moonlight Graham, and it's uh, it, it's wonderful. And then, of course, you have on page 251 what is the foundation for this famous, the famous Field of Dreams speech, um, the the baseball speech, Salinger's Dream, which turns out to be you know in the movie Terrence Mann's speech about why you can't sell the, the the farm that the people will come ray and about uh, the importance of baseball and the importance of america and the importance of people believing in the good times that were and can be again uh the childlike all that all that stuff uh, this is salinger's dream is just gorgeous and then when you watch the movie it still hits you right in the throat and I, I, it, that's just a wonderful way to, to end the whole chapter there. Um, what do you think about the, the dream, about anything else that we just discussed? Yeah, it's, it's uh, there's a quote I wrote down from this. During, it, it, and it said, he's, I'm, I'm, I forget exactly who said it. Uh, America has been erased like a blackboard, only to be rebuilt and then erased again. But baseball has marked time while America has rolled by like a procession of steamrollers. Mm. So, you know, he he's talking about how how people will instinctively know to come here. They won't even really know why. And it makes sense for them to have that conversation because they all know what they're talking about. They just went on this. They just got done with a journey like that. They didn't know why they were doing what they were doing, going to Boston and going to uh, Minnesota and then coming back down to Iowa. They just, they sort of knew they were on an adventure and they had to get there and they were going to, they were going to just drive down uh, I-80, you know? I mean, like in their minds, these people are going to come to this field for the same reasons why they went on their adventure because something will just instinctively tell them that they need to be here and they'll wander around. I mean, and so he talks about this like as if, I mean, it's it's the worst business plan in the world if we're being totally honest, you know? I mean, it doesn't, you could never get a loan on this business plan and yet he gives this speech and after knowing and seeing all the magic that you've seen throughout the book, 
you just go, yeah, of course, of course that will happen because that's, it's meant to, you know? And so it, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating sales pitch uh, of why he needs to kind of continue on and, 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 yeah, make the decision to 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 generate revenue a different way. Well, li- li- listen to these two paragraphs, and this is why I think this 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 book was such a um, an amazing success in my eyes. Because again, you can't even say that this is about baseball. They'll turn up uh, they'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it, and arrive at your door, innocent as children, longing for the gentility of the past, for home canned preserves, ice cream made in a wooden freezer, jingham uh, jingham uh, 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 dresses. I don't know what the hell. What is that? Jingham dresses. Jingham. I don't know. I don't know. And black and silver stoves with high warming ovens and cast iron uh, reservoirs. Of course, we don't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person, and they'll pass over the money without even looking at it, for it is money they have and peace they lack. That's not not (laughs) even about baseball, you know? I, I mean, that's just... That is just what we're always looking for. We're always looking to recreate that joy that joy of childhood and for some people that could be baseball um and um that's just beautiful yeah yeah it is um i thought it was interesting also that they they built a door in the outfield wall i don't know it felt for, for some reason because they specifically mentioned it it felt to me like it was symbolic or it was there was some re, there was some significance to there being a door meaning you can kind of come and go you can close it off and because um, they they made, he went to great detail to explain how it just was really well done and looked like it was just part of the wall and just opened up and i thought that that was sort of I don't know, maybe Jerry's way of trying to um, symbolically show some sort of divi- separation between himself and this ghost uh, cornfield of his. It was, uh, I don't know, it was just something I wrote down. And then the cars, you know, the cars start arriving, and it reminds me of um, reminds me of this scene in Contact, with Jodie Foster and there's a scene where she's gone through the wormhole and she's sitting on the beach and it's a it's sort of it's designed to sort of be like a fantastic voyage type thing and she's having this explanation and they're there she's saying are there more of us and he said you know there's we've reached out to a lot of different places to let them know about where we are and she looks up and and she she had thought that she was the only person that had read this message and gone through time and she can see just all of these different ones coming in from all different directions and different angles and she realizes that you know oh my god i thought i was the only one on this trip there's so many more and when when you have this when he starts describing how the cars start arriving you know, they just start arriving. I was thinking, like, in my mind, it kind of reminded me of that that part from the movie Contact because it it just you realize you that how big the world is or the universe is, and that there's just so much going on. Here we are thinking, like, oh, this is our own little trip, and it's the most important thing, and then you realize, like, everybody's there's plenty of other people figuring this out too. So I don't know. I I, I connected with that as well in this i i was starting wondering about that i said are these real attendees because in in the movie it ends with the procession of cars you can see coming from miles that the the magic was already manifesting and that the the farm was saved and 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 this was just people were being drawn like you know moths to a flame uh but in this it almost seemed like the attendees themselves were not material because they were kind of confused. He made it sound like they were they would go they wouldn't know why they were there and they would look around and ask you know with, you know unusual with, questions yeah. Yeah and and, and you know if cuz I and then I started thinking to myself if they were if they were not even really physical uh, you know cars and people coming out and paying the money it doesn't mean that the money that they pass 
over to Ray isn't physical because earlier on in the book, when he goes to abduct J.D. Salinger, he offers up a Joe Jackson home run ball that was hit in his backyard. So that was a physical relic from a ghost yep. game. So I, I'm thinking to myself, well, hey, uh, ghost money must be good as ghost baseballs. It's just, it, it has to be. Uh, and think yeah. think about the memorabilia that you can produce for sale. Hey, this is a, a Joe Jackson home run ball from my backyard. There's no there end to it. <laughs> it's, they just needed eBay back then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good oh, shape. Let me ask you this: When did Richard first see? Because then he and I, I'm, I was looking all over for it, and I couldn't. Maybe I overlooked it. But he and um, and Ray, they go on their little starstruck walk. Trying to say not too much to their to their father, and uh, obviously Richard can see him now. But so, at what point did he actually see for the first time? I I'm, I think I missed it, and I, I read know. it twice. I don't know. See, that's the chat. I think. The, well, yeah, guys, in in the chat room, did you pick up on when Richard saw for the first time? Because I I read it twice, and I I must have missed it twice, or. It just is a detail, which I think is pretty important, that he left out. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on the chat room for that one, because we're almost done. Now it's just the last couple of pages, which is so uh, aptly titled, The Rapture of J.D. Salinger. And this is where Salinger is invited to go beyond the corn with the players. He admits, finally... I thought that there was going to be some kind of a mysterious twist to all this stuff, but he was just holding out on Ray. He admits finally he did give that interview about wanting to play at the polo grounds. Finally, after all this time, he admits it. And he's invited by the players to go beyond the, the corn, and Ray is righteously indignant. This is where we get, I mean, in the movie, you, we get this point where, you know, why not me? And even here, why not me? In, in the movie, he says, what's in it for me? And that is, of course, when we are led to, I think, one is just one of the greatest resolutions <laughs> in movie history. I, I do believe so. Um, I'm not going to say anything more about it because I think people are going to enjoy this now. But uh, the, we get a similar, similar scene here. Why not me? Why are you going out there? And Annie kind of calms him down. And he realizes why he needs to be there with his family, what he's been given what his purpose was and that Salinger this is how he's this is what he has to do to fix things for himself and to go the extra distance and see what he's going to write about next and and what he what kind of loose ends he has to tie up and it just ends in such a wonderfully mundane way on the porch we turn to look at the silent satiny green of the field I press the switch and like a candle going out the scar of lights disappears above the farm a moon bright as butter silvers the night as Annie holds the door open for me that's it and you have to imagine that the magic continues but Salinger is on the other side with all of the players and we don't know what happens there, and I guess we're not meant to until he publishes his next great work. So that's what I—that's uh, what I got from that. What do you have with the ending? Yeah, it was—you know—everybody had a little something they had to work out during this book. You know, Salinger had to do that as well. It was funny, you know, he just re refused till the very end to admit that he had actually given that interview. And, you know, and Ray probably was like, thanks a lot, man. You, I, I felt like I was going crazy this whole time. I kept thinking that this has to be it, right? And then you're telling me no. But but again, he, he continued. He stuck with it. He didn't give up. And in the end, you find out, yeah, that Sounder was just, you know, I, I gave the interview. I got to tell you. But but everybody, you know, listen, it, that's not Ray's relationship with that field he's not maybe supposed to to do that to go into the cornfield like salinger uh gets to you know and, and and he shouldn't and i understand why he's frustrated about by it but i also know that um you know he he just kind of needed to let salinger have his trip and that was part of his his you know your your deal whether it's you know like whether it's your psych your psychedelic trip or mine you know whatever you you have yours and you do your thing and i'll i'll do mine but his wife needed to kind of get a hold of like calm down you know this is 
remember, we're, we're all working out our, our own things here. And for Salinger, man, he came, he came a long way. He, he made a lot of progress during this trip hmm. from being this just guy that's hidden away from the world to really coming out of his shell, starting to embrace his own uh, recognizability during this journey and um, and getting himself ready along the way to finally be in a position where he could uh, go in the cornfield on his own you know he wouldn't have been re- he wouldn't have been able to do that had he not gone through this unveiling on uh, this process so everybody needed it yep Everybody needed it for different reasons, and they got different things out of it. And uh, the way that this was written that wove all these storylines together, it's just, it, it was brilliant, man. You know, and, and of course, it's not real life, you know, so you have to allow for the the fictional component of some of this. You have to sort of detach from reality for a little bit, but if you're able to do that, this book is really great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it just, it, it just, it, it really is. And so different from the movie too, which is weird because how can I love the book and the movie at the same time? And they're two different stories, but I, I do, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you. Um, I'm, and in the chat room, we just had a couple of really, uh, interesting contributions. One from, uh, Susan, uh, a few other people, uh, lost the they couldn't see where Richard started seeing and Susan gave us a little bit of I don't know what pages is on she says after the dad stops speaking to them Ray says he's been having trouble with his eyes but I think it's clearing up that's when Richard says it's true um well I I mean but Susan I don't know um I know what you're talking about at that point, it's true because they they repeat to each other. It's true. It's true, right? But but that was already they're already talking to him. So at that point, I'm thinking to myself, Richard already sees, and I was wondering at that point, well, how did he start seeing? Here it is. The game tonight uh, was a double header. That's when my finally Richard and I walk out. Okay, the game tonight. No, oh, hold on, wait. I'm smiling convulsively. This is on page 254. Whoever controls the strings must be chuckling, treating me like the heroine in The Perils of Pauline. By midnight, if the cars keep arriving, I'll have more than enough money to bring my mortgage up to date. And I'll go and see those car- I'll go and see what those cars want, says Gypsy. What cars, says Richard. So 254 on page 254, Richard is still implying that he can't see the cars, and the cars are not of material, they are not material people. Okay? That, that, that's, so that, that's where I'm starting to say, okay, they're ghost cars. But it's still, it, it, they're going to have real money, because we know that the balls that, they're, that the ghosts are playing with are real. So they, they, there's some kind of a transference there. But the next thing there is, the game tonight has been a doubleheader, and when it's finally over, Richard and I walk out onto the field. My fists are clenched, my tongue a piece of rock chipping against my teeth. As we make our way toward the plate, I feel like a schoolchild commanded to the audience with the principal, who until now has been only a rumor. Rich and I uh, stand close together, side by side, like the figures representing the Gemini astrological sign. The catcher has been ta- uh, talking to... T- uh, to to Chick Gandil, he looks at us and smiles. I can feel my heart shatter. I do not die. Richard's hand grimly holds my bicep. His knuckles white. So I guess that's it. He it was, can it, see him at, at that. He at can that, see he, the player, but he can't see. Maybe he could just see his dad. I don't know. At that point, it's it's on for Richard. He, he I mean, because if he's not seeing anything, he's not going to be clutching his brother's arm. So at that point, he sees him. So I, I guess that's just it. It, it. The the lights went on for him. I guess that's just what we have to accept. I guess. Or maybe maybe he just trusted his that his brother was taking him. No, he'd have to have seen something for his hands to be white. Yeah. yeah. I guess he just he it, that was the moment. Into the into the the um, the thread we go. Jalen Weddings Wennings says, "I think this is a rare case where the movie is better than the book." 
That being said, the book is still five stars and worth reading again and again, in my opinion. Just a testament on how good the film is. Not everything. I agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm with him too. I have had a wonderful experience reading this book, and it has honestly, it has gotten me. Um, in a way, I'm glad we read it. It has just been really wonderful in its intricate. Uh, it, it's intricate. Intric- oh, it's very intricate, intricately written. Um, it is. I love to to, to have all these storylines, not just storylines, but timelines, like different time time and like by decades. To have them all going at, at the same time is 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 really tricky. I so know. It, and to do it well. Most people can't. I would never attempt something. I mean, I've listen. I've written a couple of books. I would never attempt something like this. This is high level stuff. This is the stuff you do when you are uh, at the top of your game. This is the, this is a pinnacle. That is wild. This is definitely a pinnacle. This is his catcher in the rye. Um, yeah. And and you know when I'm reading this. And I knew that we were going to be coming here four Thursdays in a row and doing this book. It only got me more and more excited that the movie was going to be at the end of it. Because I can't wait to see this entire time. I've had to alter my um, alter the way I saw Jerry Salinger in my head. I've had to think up people like Bluestein. I've had to think up people like... Um, Gypsy, and I had to think up people like Eddie Sissons. But other than that, it I can't wait to see these characters in the flesh again, and I believe we get that in a, su- such a true interpretation um, in, in the movie. So I understand what Jalen's saying. He says, not everything would have translated to the screen. This was the most enjoyable experience in my favorite book club to date. Um, Gal221 says... I found this last section to be full of raw emotion for many of the main characters, from Ray to Eddie to Richard, while J.D. Salinger was the calm one during the explosions of emotion happening as things were coming to an end. Ray's vision shrank a bit, or rather came into balanced perspective when he faced possibly losing his child. Not that he was unbalanced about his singular focus of keeping the field, maybe skewered priorities. Eddie was the baseball evangelist. He, his tent revival speech for baseball and leading in worship of it, his last hurrah, probably spoke to the deep love these characters had in common for the game. Salinger's tribute to baseball's timelessness in American culture was such a, in contrast, uh, contrast to the, the politicization, the politicization, I hate that word, that is m- today making its way into even baseball now. He says, I don't have to tell you, that the one constant throughout the years has been baseball. America has been erased like a blackboard, only to be rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. On page 218, I think Ray put into words the pain that is being healed. Quote, when most people reach for that heart's desire, it appears not as a horse, but as a tiger. And they are rewarded with snarls, frustration, and disillusionment. End quote. Wow. Yeah. I remember that line. This book has surprised me, being much deeper read than what might be expected from a book focused on a sport. Turns out that was not the whole focus. Made for a good read. Frank and Charlie, thank you for taking the discussion much more than I could have gotten out of the book on my own. Thank you for your hard work. It's also been fun and challenging to hear how others have thought about and reacted to the book. Wonderful. Our pleasure. Yeah, for sure. This has been a lot of fun for me, too. I mean, I... I it's it's you know for those people that started off i remember on the first week that we did this we had some of the viewers that were unfamiliar with baseball and didn't think they were going to like a baseball book because they were unfamiliar with the sport and i could certainly relate if i were reading a book about cricket i would be like i don't know anything about cricket i'm probably not going to like it but as as you got into it a little bit more, it turned and you started to realize it's there. Obviously, there's a story about baseball in it, but it was more about the human beings that were um, getting into these adventures and exploring what was missing in their lives and, and having these really 
profound moments in in and baseball had nothing to do with that and so the book is is almost limited by being thought of as a baseball book because it's so much more than that and i think that the people that you know in this group that that went through the four weeks and and read the whole thing you know you i hope you got more out of it than batting averages and on base percentages and things like that. I mean, because this was uh, a story about all, so many things, but part of it is following your dreams and, and trusting in yourself and, and putting yourself, just getting out there and doing it. You know, it's really inspirational. And if you do these things and if you trust in the universe, magical things happen along the way a lot of times to make your journey continue. So it, it, it's, it's also, it's really inspiring. You mentioned it's, it's his catcher in the rye. Yeah, it is. It felt, I felt like it was his catcher in the rye while I was reading it. I felt like it, there was a particular reason why he picked JD Salinger. You know, I mean, he could have picked anybody, well, you know, he would have had his choice of a few authors of the day, but he, he picked that one because I, I, I think maybe there was, you know, maybe that book, had a, a impact on his life. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I, that definitely came through. I mean, there has to be a reason why you learn something about the author in any of their books, especially when it's fiction, because you know that they're going to pull from people in their lives, even themselves. And he writes so personally about what it is to be a writer that you know he's speaking for himself and projecting for what has to be one of the not just one of his own influences but an american influence in in literature but um sharon says this particular paragraph really stood out to me talking about let's see here i don't have to tell you the one constant throughout the years has been baseball that one right there continually reminds us of once was like an indian head penny and a handful of new coins this uh, that's a wonderful line um this particular paragraph really stood out to me. These pages were full of near tragedy. Thank goodness Moonlight Graham was there. Dreams were nearly dashed or achieved. What a roller coaster ride it's been. I enjoyed J.D. Salinger telling Ray that the cars and the people would come and turn up in his driveway for reasons that not even they would understand. The people would be drawn like ants to sugar to come and sit at, the, at peace with their memories of baseball. These pages were magical. Ray has his field of dreams where everyone can relive theirs. Um, wasn't too sure how I felt about the ending of the book when Jerry walked walked onto the field. I can't say I remember how the movie ends, but I didn't expect Jerry to leave. I loved when Jerry told Ray that the article he read and saved all those years ago was true. So, so happy he was ready to share with Ray his love of the game. The book for me is a keeper, one that I will read again and again. Thank you, Frank and Charlie, for your insight into the game. I'm not really a sports fan, so I've been a few games. I've been to a few games in the 70s. Funny how that I think about it when there were White Sox games. I, I, when I think about it, they were White Sox games. Anyway, look forward to watching the movie. Let me also just say, because I can't wait to watch the movie too, but. If this has in any way, shape, or form piqued your interest in the game of baseball from an American history standpoint, if you love this country and you love its history and you thirst for more, even though he has turned out to be a completely brain-dead fucking fool, um, uh, Ken Burns... Charlie knows. I knew exactly where you were going, and you and I. The minute you said he turned out to be brain dead, if, yes. If you if you give yourself, I would say the first seven episodes, at least the first six episodes of of um, of uh, Ken Burns baseball. It's a documentary that he produced for PBS in like the early nineteen nineties. I think episode six or seven takes you up to uh, and through, I think it's called the capital of baseball. It was an entire episode that, that talked about baseball in New York in the 1950s before the Giants and the Dodgers went west, um, where you have, uh, you know, there's just so much going on there and how it, it was just ingrained in the American spirit. Um, you go and check that out. The Negro Leagues, it's it's so 
fairly done, well done, and it's it, it's beautiful. I mean, it's just a human story. It's American history. Uh, I would say at least the first seven episodes, and you're going to have a, a wonderful ride from throughout the Civil War into into what would be called modernity. So, uh, Charlie, anything else you got on that? Agreed. It, it, it's a great. I, I watched, and they did. They go into Shoeless Joe in in the in it as well. They talk about that that scandal, and they talk about uh, Comiskey, the owner, and they talk about what a scumbag he was, and they talk about how he wouldn't, you know, allow the players to charge him to wash their uniforms and things like that. And so, like, you get some of the backstory as to what happened with Shoeless Joe. And You're gonna I, know. And yeah. I watched multiple episodes. But I didn't get into the modern part or any, you know, I didn't, I think I got like as far as like the, the 1950s Yankees, you know, so I still have uh, more to go on that series, but it was great. I was si- I watched it while I was sick. So I just was like kind of in front of the TV for like hours, just watching episode after episode. And I can agree with it. It's, it's really well done. And Ken Burns, even though, I mean, let's be honest, who are you fooling with that wig? Um, I know. It's, it, it, it's, it's all eight. I would say the eight. I'm looking at all the the. Um, I'm looking at all of the episodes right here. Oh, my my lava lamps just timed out. First inning, our game. That I mean, I mean, we're talking about the the Elysian Fields and the Knickerbockers. It, it was started in New York and Long Island, um, and then you have second inning, something like a war. Uh, third inning, the faith of 50 million people. That's the Black Sox scandal right there. That's the third episode is the Black Sox scandal. And it's also the the coming out of the dead ball era and the emergence of cultural titan figures like Babe Ruth, who revived baseball for America. I mean, this is when America, when the, 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 the spirit of a country could be broken by what they learned about the White Sox. They, because we, you want to talk about morality in this country. It was unthinkable for the average American to think that baseball could be rigged, that people on the inside would be of such low moral character to take a bribe and to throw a game, that it was so dishonorable. So, I mean, so this really broke the nation in many ways. And Babe Ruth, that 1920s, that the Roaring Twenties that came in at that point, that was uh, that was a, a major cultural revival there, and he he gave he brought a lot of uh, a lot of stuff back. You'll learn about Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the first commissioner that Ray Kinsella's father hated so much for uh, for for punishing the 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 White Sox in the way that he did. But you got to read, you got to watch the first eight, I think, because you know that's it. I think the seven capital of baseball that's 1950 to 1960 in new york so i would say just go from the first eight that that's a fun time all right let's see uh ktjo we're getting there just stopping to say thank you frank for introducing me to this book i never would have picked it up if it wasn't for the book club i'm very behind only 30 percent of the way through the audiobook but i've enjoyed it very much uh, my dad was a huge White Sox fan. I grew up going to Sox games. Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, they were the stars during my teen years. I have memories flooding back to games on radio in the garage while dad was washing the station wagon or pulling weeds. Falling asleep to games on the TV during summer afternoons, hot dogs and pop at Kaminsky Park. I grew up in rural Illinois by the Iowa border, a little over an hour from Iowa City, so the Iowa farm references are nostalgic. The wife, Annie, is my favorite character. I love her wit. That's that's a wonderful uh, reminiscing right there. Uh, uh, Jackie says, after Eddie passes away, it says that Ray had the feeling that if he drove to Iowa City and picked up the copy of Baseball Encyclopedia, he would find the entry of uh, Eddie's stats from his three seasons as a relief pitcher for the Cubs. I stared at the image of the stats on the page. I couldn't help but think that this is exactly why Eddie would have wanted written for his obituary. Not read from some minister of the church Eddie had never attended or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was also interesting, again, to see could this, could the spirit of Eddie of the past being out on that ball field really translate into physical records being there to verify his existence? Another, another magical link between the spirit world manifesting in our world. For sure. For sure. It would have made all of his lies truths. Yes. 
And, and he wouldn't have died in shame. Just incredible. Just incredible. And again, like you said before, Charlie, you just got to suspend that. You, 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 you have to give yourself over to a mystical, magical story in the sun. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what this is. Um, NJSF, the last one here, says, in this last installment, there are some beautiful moments and also some hard moments to follow, especially as baseball terminology got out more, uh, got a lot more used while describing the game. The ending also felt a bit rushed. There's no conclusive notion that Mark and Bluestein stopped harassing, and it seemed that the space between Jerry's mentioning of the solution and it coming to fruition was very sudden and left a lot of questions. Seemed like Deus Ex Machina at play. Yeah, despite these, I thoroughly enjoyed the read, and it was particularly enjoyable closure, Salinger's confession that he did give the interview. And um, and he goes on to give the, the confrontation of Mark and Bluestein with Ray. There's other things that NJSF put in there, but that's for you guys and gals. You can read and interact with it, and for everybody that reads this book along with us in the future, as, as this entire serial will be, will be um, left up on the SoundCloud and for YouTube for as long as it as it survives and I have it on hard, hard, uh, disc. So I'll be able to mirror this forever. People will be reading this book along with us for years. Charlie, the conference. Cool. I love it. The conference. They get as much out of it as we did because I, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to be allowed to read the next bit, you know? Yeah. It, It'll be great to always go back to the confrontation of Mark and Bluestein with Ray, resulting in the fall and the shocking of a Karen was a roller coaster of drama and emotion. It brings us the hope that desire for well-being of a child is where lost humanity uh, is where lost humanity it rediscovered. Of a child is where lost humanity rediscovered as Bluestein lowers are the axe uh, lowers the axe and offers his jacket to Ray. Doc Graham coming back to save Karen was a wonderful turn of events, so true to his character. As I think, I believe it's predetermined. I think that Doc Graham, I think that Ray was on a mission and that Doc Graham was not only going to be fulfilled, but he was going to be there to fulfill uh, a a service for Ray in a time of great need. And um, for those of you, for those of you who are going to be watching with us this Sunday, when we, should we start? I want to do this at like, um, I think I might start the, the the episode. I think I might start the movie at like 10 p.m. Eastern time. Because aren't you in mountain time, Charlie? Well, I'm going to be in Las Vegas. So I might, I'm going to, I'll see if I, I want to try and make it. Well, but... e- either way, I, I wanted to start it a little bit later on the East Coast. So people throughout the, you know, th- whatever time zone they're in, it's not too early. Um if I start at 10, it'll be like seven on the on Pacific. But if you can't watch it, obviously, uh, yeah. we'll get to, we'll get back together and we'll talk about things. Yeah. Yeah, that that'll be fun. Uh, anything else you got to say, man? You just take it away for the conclusion. Well, I want to thank you for trusting me with this uh, part because, you know, the. Uh, you've been doing this a long time and you've built this really tight relationship with your audience and they trust you they should. And I, I'm, I'm not just on your show. I watch your show too. (laughs) You know what I mean? I've been, I've been enjoying your work for a long time and I appreciate you allowing me the opportunity to be part of your book club with your really special audience that you've been curating over the years putting together and uh and i think that in that that that's not lost on me so thanks for thanks for having me i appreciate it well you you were the 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 perfect pick we are we've become good friends over the last few years and i obviously this really solidifies it i mean i i i really love doing this with you and um and I knew that people would would really jive with you, and they already do. I mean, you've oh, been on the show, mate. Oh, good. Oh, yes. Well, I, I, obvi- obviously, I like your audience because I'm in your audience. <laughs> That's you know? it. Oh. That's it. You, you, we have we, good taste. We are of each other. That's the uh, that's the thing. We're we, all we 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 understand. I think you and I both understand that there's some very serious things happening out there in this world. But if you can't also laugh about it and and it not have it 
be viewed as being disrespectful, just kind of laughing at the absurdity of it all, you'll probably do much better with it. You'll yeah. probably get through it in in a in, without breaking your brain and so we we come at these problems i think from a, a serious standpoint where we want to get the facts right and we want to talk to our audience about this stuff but at the same time we're like god damn did you see what is going what is happening here like this is this is insanity so we have fun with it but um and, and uh but it's been not i'll tell you it's it's been a nice break to just kind of read about baseball and not blackmail how yeah baseball not blackmail even though blackmail was a little part of baseball in this well there was a little bit in there we couldn't separate it completely but there is a uh, there, there's a little bit of everything there and you know maybe i'll start it at uh maybe i'll start i know it's not going to help many of you out there but my uh you know sunday night ep- the sunday night programming on quite frankly tv never starts earlier than nine o'clock so maybe i can start the the the, the episode i can start the the movie at nine thirty. um that's i can maybe shave a half hour off it's only 90 minutes it's a very tightly it's a well-told story there is no downtime in between so maybe i can start it at nine thirty instead of 10 and um and we'll we'll figure it out from there anyway i will i'll make everybody know what's going on i'll send out all the emails and I'll send out all the notifications, and and we'll have a good time with that. Charlie Robinson, thank you so much for everything, my friend. It's been it's been a, an honor. Thank you for having me. This is it's been a lot of fun to get our minds off of the serious stuff and focus on on a book that you know what? what now that I think about it, it's a pretty serious book too. You know, with it, a really great message, uh, something for everybody. So well, what about this? Encourage people to ne- read it next Thursday. How about next Thursday we do a bonus, maybe just a half hour? Uh, if you catch it, I'm going to have to do it later. I got I got a date with James Corbett. Oh, shit. Oh, never mind. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll figure okay, it out. We'll figure it out. I, maybe we just do it at, at a different time, on a different day, because we already finished reading the book. Uh, but yeah. I, think, I, I think it would be nice to get a little bit of... Of, of response from people and if, for those of you out there like jerry in the in the chat room who's in scotland you know if i started at 9 30 or whatever the hell i mean i that's still like two o'clock in the morning for him jerry feel free to rent the movie or you know get it on a uh, you know get a torrent or i don't know what the hell you want to do rent the movie whatever is good for you guys Let's all just uh, let's sit back and watch it at some point on Sunday. I will have a communal viewing around 9:30 p.m. Eastern time, and when we get back together again, I will make it. We'll figure that out. We can all talk for even 20 minutes about uh, what our our biggest takeaways were. All right. So good night. Have a wonderful one, and I'll see you in August for the next book club with Lindsay Sharman. Uh, hey, I, I hope that you read along with us, Charlie. I, I I wrote it down. I uh, the the city in, oh, devil in the devil in the right in the white city. It's all good. Devil in the white city. That's right. Yeah. I I went to the website and looked it up and read up about it. So cool. yeah, I want to do it. I'm gonna read along. All right. I'm gonna get it. Well, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. And thank you guys, everybody at home. Have a good night.